Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the story within the panels. Today's episode was a... Uh, it was ad hoc. Episode. It was ad ho- totally ad hoc. We, we were just going to do a little mic check, and then we just started talking about uh, Dan DiDio. Uh, for those of you who uh, don't know, Dan DiDio was the co-publisher of DC Comics. It was just uh, yeah, re- recently, recently announced. the company, that, uh, yeah. probably fired <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, for some reason we just it started off as a mic check and then we just started talking about him and his and all some of the things that he worked on. And it became a full-on episode. So, yeah. I think we had a lot to say about it and um there were a lot of good moments and we we're, we're just going to make it a full episode. Hilarity ensued. Exactly. Check one, check two. Albert, are you there? Do you read me? Was I supposed to respond to check one, check two? Uh, I don't know. I was just checking the mic, testing okay. it out. I wasn't sure what the what the expected protocol for that was. Yeah, I guess it was just to say something, anything. Sometimes we're just screaming out into the abyss, hoping for some sort of answer and response. Just someone to acknowledge that we're there. Well, if anybody is listening to this, then I guess we'll have succeeded in our goal. If our goal was yeah. to be acknowledged. <laughs> That's still yet to be seen, but okay. <laughs> For now, I'm going to keep my expectations low. What are your top moments from Dan DiDio? Oof. Like... In terms of things that he was responsible for over uh, in regards to his tenure at DC? Yeah, I mean, if you can't think of anything, I guess I suppose you could say something like he was a good father or, uh, you know, a loving I husband. I don't even know or... that. I, but I mean... Okay. Uh, okay. Honestly, well, I and I don't know how much of this I can truly attribute to Dan DiDio, but... Um, at least according to himself, he had a lot to do with Grant Morrison's All-Star Superman, at the very least bringing it over to DC or letting it be a thing at DC. He said that? Um, not, not exactly in his words, but I remember when All-Star Superman came out on as an animated movie there was a documentary that was or oh, that's right one of the bonus features on the dvd right yeah one of the bonus features on the dvd had them interviewing grant morrison but dan didio was a big part of that documentary yeah and the implication was that he took credit he yeah he was a big part of why it exists so to whatever degree that he was involved I guess I can say here here I'll 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 put it in terms that maybe you might even be able to appreciate but his involvement didn't ruin it Yeah, yeah I, can, I, I think I can agree with that in his time as a as what editor in chief and yeah. publisher at DC Comics he could have put in input that would have yeah, made it a he, far worse comic <laughs> he, yeah he could have he could have interfered with it yeah. creatively but uh i guess in a sense he uh was responsible for hiring the people who worked on it and he stayed out of their way so he did a good job yeah, yeah. so you know that's, that's i'm not gonna stone him to death if i ever get the opportunity to yeah that's that that's that's probably that probably is one of the best things that yeah. He that one of the best things he's ever done was yeah. not do anything to ruin a good comic. Yeah. 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 So like I said, if I ever get the chance, I won't stone him to death, but I'll probably hit him hard enough to put him in a coma. Maybe it's a good thing that nobody listens to us. <laughs> 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 uh 
I remember I was looking at this list. <laughs> this, 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 I saw a list. It was from several years ago. Yeah. Um, at least like a solid five years ago, probably. But I remember, I think uh, Comic Book Resources or somebody did a brief interview with Dan DiDio and asked him what he thought his uh, top 10 comics were. I mean, like the top 10 comics that happened under his watch or the things that he was proud, the comics that he was proudest of. Yeah. And <clears throat> I don't even remember if All-Star Superman was on it. Uh, Cause I, I think he, I, I know he definitely had things like uh, he said, Infinite Crisis, uh, fifty two. Uh, you know the weekly series. Yeah. He had uh, Identity Crisis. Uh, he had some pretty bad comics on there. Was did he have anything to do with Hush? He, I think he had Hush on it. Probably. Yeah. Um, you know I don't have the. I should just let me look up see if I can find that list right now. Actually. Yeah. Um, so, so keep talking while, and buy me some time. Um, yeah, I, 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 I can't, in retrospect, looking at his career, uh, post his exit, well, I don't know, me and you always, never did have much love for Dan DiDio. Yeah. Or his tenure, I, I think we can honestly say that there were certainly far more misses than there were hits, um, like just in terms of sheer volume alone, the the only argument that I could potentially make for it is maybe just maybe the things that he did monetarily boosted. Yeah. <laughs> like if you if your measurement for success is purely calculated by money, yeah. Then in that regard, he might have done well. But I've I I would like to, I I know in terms of me I don't calculate success in terms of money yeah exactly <laughs> especially money i'm not personally seeing <laughs> like i don't care if you got rich yeah. making something like what well, what is my level of enjoyment right <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> you could be the richest man in the world but you're nothing to me unless you can you know make me feel something or if I, unless i gain something from it yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, Dan, Dan DiDio, uh, he started off as a vice president of editorial and then eventually ascended to the position of co-publisher of DC Comics. And I found the article I was talking about, and it's actually from uh, eight years ago. Okay. So it's, it's quite some time ago. But uh, it was actually uh, a Facebook post that he posted up to his profile where he listed... Uh, the top 10 projects that he oversaw that made him the most proud mm. uh, or the things that he was proudest of. And, and here, here's the list and I'll just run it down to you and then we can comment after uh, after I'll, I'll give the list. But first of all was Batman Hush. Of course. Identity Crisis at number two. Yes. Number three was <laughs> Green Lantern Rebirth. <sighs> number four was the Superman-Batman story arc where they reintroduced Kara Zor-El, the Supergirl story. You know, the one that yeah, was about I know. Michael Turner. Yeah, I yeah, mean... Yeah, that one. Uh, Countdown to Infinite Crisis at number five. At number six, Infinite Crisis. Okay. At number seven, 52, the weekly series. Uh-huh. Uh, and then, let's see, number eight. Whoa. Superman Earth One by J. Michael Straczynski. I'm surprised he had that on his list. Actually, I'm not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> like these are all, all these are a lot of losers. But in fact, they might all be losers. I I haven't heard one thing. The best thing that I okay, we'll finish your list. Number nine, he wrote Batman, Green Lantern, and the Five Year Plan, or better known as how Flashpoint. <laughs> better known as how the Sinestro Core War and Batman R.I.P. got me through the toughest part of my career. Uh, uh, I I mean, like, I I don't really have context for that, so. Um, yeah, we can get to it later, but yeah. and the final thing on his list, and keep in mind, this was he wrote this in twenty twelve, the new fifty two. <sighs> right. Yeah, so that's that's his top ten. So as you notice, there's a glaring absence of All Star Superman. There is a glaring there's, absence of. There is no good DC <laughs> the New Frontier. Yeah, he's missing a lot of like the best things that DC published under his tenure. Yeah, I guess we could count it as a blessing that he didn't take so much pride in those projects that he wanted a personal hand in it, so that he ended up 
screwing those up. <laughs> That's true. That's true. That's true. Uh, just... Just for anyone that's listening, I don't personally hate Dan DiDio. I just don't have much respect or regard for him or love. You, you I hate, don't hate him. You, you don't hate him. You hate everything that he's done. That's fair. I think that's more than fair. Yeah. He's yeah. not a horrible person. Yeah. He's. I'm sure he's a loving father. He's. Well, earlier you said you couldn't even give him credit for <laughs> okay okay <laughs> he, he's just somebody that we don't know personally yeah he, he, he exists yeah yeah and if he was an accountant then uh working at a at a tax firm somewhere that and he never did anything to cross my path then i would have no reason to think any ill thoughts towards him whatsoever yeah, and and we don't think any ill thoughts towards him whatsoever. Oh yeah, that yeah that we just good have, catch. We have ill thoughts towards his body of work. Yeah. <laughs> if let me put it this way, if I saw him walking down the street, I wouldn't try to run him over. But if I could take his body of work and magically manifest that into a physical human form, I would run it over repeatedly. <laughs> Especially the works that he's most proud of. Exactly. That, if I could take that top ten list and turn it into a person, I would beat that person to within an inch of their life. Well, let's look at that top ten list and just, just like, critique it. You know, before you go into that top ten list, you know what, like, the one thing on that list that didn't strike me as like bad bad was which is telling sign for me was that batman superman story by kara zor-el because i didn't even read that one so like i had to when you were naming this stuff i had to like stop and think i was like what is my opinion of that and i just remember that michael turner's art wasn't something that i was into yeah so that in and of itself might not have been enough to make me hate that story but relative to everything else on that list i don't think i hated it as much but now that I'm thinking about it, there were things about it that I do remember that were pretty stupid. Like, I think Batman punched Darkseid with an armor or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that was a pretty dumb storyline. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's fair to say that Jeff Loeb isn't the greatest writer. Um, that's definitely not his best work. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about the man who wrote the screenplay to Commando. And Teen Wolf. And we can never take those from him. Yeah, so, yeah. so definitely respect to Jeff Loeb for giving us Commando. And, and Teen, Teen Wolf. Wolf, yeah. Two great 80s movies. Yep. Um, but uh, his run on Superman, Batman, that was not good. That was not good at all. Um, going back to the first thing on Dan DiDio's list, he had Batman number 608, you know, the first issue of Hush. I think that was the first issue. Uh, I'm not going to bother checking. Yeah. But, but basically, Hush was uh, number one on his list. And and uh, obviously, one of the top-selling comics. And I'd say it, it is most one of the most significant comics in modern DC history. But it, it's certainly not a comic that I care for or respect and hold in high... I don't hold it in re- high regard whatsoever. Mm. Actually, uh, I think it was just yesterday I was showing you... Uh, this poll that I saw on, on Twitter that some comic book store was putting out, and it was it was just one of those polls where the guy was like... It was a fan poll. Yeah, just which one, which comic do you like more, Batman Hush or Daredevil Born Again? Yeah. And for some reason, Batman Hush was kicking Born Again's butt. Yeah, by a significant amount from what I remember. It was at least like 10 or 11%. I think it was, uh, last time I checked it, it was like 18. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. That hurts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like Born, I, Born Again is one of the seminal works in superhero comics. Yeah. I part of me wants to, like, we can dedicate an entire podcast to why Hush. Yeah. Doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> like there is so much to unpack about it. Like, where do I even begin? Just, yeah. Jeff Loeb's not that great. I'll, I'll even. 
go the extra step and say Jim Lee's not that great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you take it a step farther and, and tell us that Batman's not that good? <laughs> <laughs> because I, I I don't believe that. I I think Batman is awesome. He deserves better. Than he deserves Jeff better. Jim Lee. Yeah, he deserves better than Jeff Loeb and Jim Lee by far. Yeah, it's just unfortunate that this is a comic that. That uh, is really well beloved by fans. Yeah. I mean, people our age probably have uh, a lot of love for it because people our age grew up reading Jim Lee's X Men comics, and then for him to you know make a grand return to DC with Batman, with Batman, no and, less. Yeah, yeah. and it, it was really high selling comic, brought yeah. a lot of hype and attention to the book. Uh, I mean, you can't really dispute those things, but as a as a story, as a as a work of art something that you can appreciate or enjoy that's not something that i can respect or yeah about. i i do have my theories as to this list but they're just theories uh depending on who's voting there's a chance that if they're younger than us or even in our age group there's a chance that okay let's let's say for the sake of just explanation that it's mostly people that are younger than us yeah that are uh that are doing this poll there's a chance that daredevil born again might be too old for them that's true too. In, in like you know what i mean it not i don't mean that it's too old they probably it, never read it yeah exactly it's just kind of not in their peripheries yeah. right so i i think that may if I had to try to explain these poll numbers, that that could be an explanation as to why it's skewed, because okay, that that's quite a magnanimous explanation. Because I'm I, just gonna say that people are idiots. I have to have some sort of explanation for it because I go out into the world on a daily basis and I'm I'm relying on people to drive me to work or when I take the bus or you know keep me safe when i'm in my office or you know even if i've uh, come come coming down even if i've come across or come down with some sort of ailment i rely on people to you know help me get better or whatever so if i go around thinking that they're all idiots then i'm relying on idiots to help me make it through my day so i i have to give them some amount of credit <laughs> No? Uh, you know, I would, I would find that, coming from you, I would find that more believable if you actually took the bus to work. But I've heard you repeatedly say you hate taking the bus because you hate people. Yeah, I do. And you work for the public transit system. Well, I just needed an explanation. I just needed an explanation. I just needed an example. But even if it's not about public transportation, even if it was preparing my food, I, I rely on them to not get me not prepare me food that's full of body fluids or so underprepared that it's going to get me sick so i have to have some sort of faith in them well they could be really talented at doing that specific task of preparing their food but you know be really stupid in other aspects of life you know it's kind of like the whole idiot savant thing where somebody's basically like barely functional in most areas so society. are you saying that most people are <laughs> retarded? <laughs> That's terrible. You know what? Uh, let's, let's move on. <laughs> That's awful. <laughs> let's move on. So we could talk all day about why Hush is a bad comic. Yeah. Hey, heck, if anybody uh, wants to hear us talk more about it, shoot us a message or something. Because I feel like all of our podcast episodes, we're just talking about comics we love and deconstructing why we love them and what makes them work and what makes them yeah. great stories. But we never really take the time to, you know, deconstruct why a story sucks. Yeah. And I'll, there's a perverse part of me that would enjoy that. I'll be honest. There's I'm constantly showing self-restraint when it comes to comics that I don't like. 
and a big part of that is we don't cover them. So, yeah, exactly. well, so I guess that's not really self-restraint. Like, <laughs> I'm just staying on topic. Yeah. <laughs> okay, the second thing on his list, Identity Crisis. Um, yeah. That was a, an event comic um, that DC did. I would say it sort of launched them into their current yeah. state, their current morass. <laughs> Yeah. Um. It, it it was the comic that I guess convinced them that that was the direction that they could go. Uh. To and that it could be a money maker for them essentially. Yeah. So for those who who don't remember or who who haven't who aren't familiar with Identity Crisis, that was a story about uh superheroes elongated man. His wife gets murdered. Yeah. Um, and it's it's supposed to be like a murder mystery, except it's really poorly constructed as a mystery and doesn't work as a mystery if you critically <laughs> think about the story. Um, but it, it's a story about that, about who, who killed his wife and, and who's coming after the loved ones of the heroes because she's just uh, the first one to die and now the heroes are scrambling to figure out who knows all their secret identities and can come after their loved ones. Yeah. So it was... Like you said, a story that just tried to take the DC universe into a, a darker and supposedly quote unquote more realistic direction. Yeah. Where, where and I think, things were, you know, just yeah. grim. And I think you can draw a direct line from it to. to essentially, like, the next few years of stories that came out of it. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. They, they mined absolutely. it for a little bit. So, um, spoilers, but. I believe the, from what I remember, the murderer ended up being one of the ex-wives of the Adam. Oh, not one of the, the ex-wife <laughs> of the Adam. Um, yeah. I forget her name. Jean Loring. Jean, yeah, Jean Loring. And further down the line, as they expanded that, um, that style into the rest of their universe, um, yeah, like, it wasn't long after that you got... Um, what ran Thangar War along with? Uh, yeah, pretty much led to all the crossovers that came after. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So there, you there was a direct line that you could draw from that to Infinite Crisis, Infinite Crisis, yeah. and even something like the New Fifty Two. Yeah, yeah, totally. Next up, uh, one of your favorite comics to hate on, Green Lantern Rebirth by yeah. Jeff Johns and Ethan Van Syver. Uh Ethan Van Suck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Probably so. one of the most <clears throat> abhorrent people in comics today. He's uh, he's a disgusting, mealy-mouthed trash can of a human being. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Thank and, you. And uh, Green Lantern <laughs> Rebirth is, isn't much better. Yeah, I didn't have much love for that comic before... I got to know what Ethan Van Cyber, Ethan Van Suck Cyber, Cyber <laughs> was about. So, so um, finding out about him just gave me more of a reason to hate it. Yeah, yeah. Green Lantern Rebirth was the comic that brought Hal Jordan back as the Green Lantern. Uh, he had been the prominent. Green Lantern character for DC Comics since the 60s and up until like the early 90s when yeah. they did a story where he went, he lost his mind basically and then, and then basically it bas our, our it generation up grew yeah. up with a different Green Lantern, yeah. Kyle Rayner. It upended everything that had been established about Green Lantern for decades and it gave Green Lantern a new status quo which was... Prior, prior to, prior to the Green Lantern we grew up with, which was mm -hmm. Kyle Rayner, the Green Lanterns were a space force, uh, not like Donald Trump's space force. <laughs> 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 they were a space police force yeah. that protected various sectors of the universe, and you know there was a long period of time where that was the status quo. But what ended up happening was in the nineties they. For better or for worse, I, I, I think there's an argument that could be that I could somewhat agree with where the the act of 
what they did to Hal Jordan, which was he went crazy and he ended up destroying all of the Green Lanterns and all of the Green Lantern Corps. Mm-hmm. So by the time you know we're by the time we're at where we are when we're reading comics, the Green Lantern that we have, his story was essentially he he they decided to make him the last of his kind. Yeah, he was the last Green Lantern, yep. uh, the protector of uh, a legacy and a dynasty or well legacy, let's say, mm-hmm. and it was about him trying to live up to that legacy i think that was a big part of what his story was and when they did rebirth i feel like it was a shout out to all of the fans that hated that story progression and just wanted everything to go back to normal yeah and i think i mean it's not much of a secret because hal jordan was the character that jeff johns grew up on yeah he wanted to bring back you know his beloved character yeah and sam goes with barry allen with the flash yeah later on yeah, yeah. and that's that's even worse honestly because yeah. we grew up with wally west and i can honestly say i i have i'm i liked kyle rayner fine enough but yeah. i wally west is my flash yeah same here yeah wally west is my flash as well yeah so so it, it was a move that I don't know. Like, I can't say for sure, but I do feel like a lot of continuity pornographers <laughs> probably mm-hmm. ate that stuff up. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And that's the kind of stuff that Jeff John specializes in continuity pornography because yeah. he, he strip mines every bit of minutiae from the past. And, yeah. And, like, to him, like, he thinks he's telling some sort of detailed chronicle mm. and, 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 like, it doesn't feel like that's enough for a good story you know because yeah. just, just because you're just because you've you're, you're, made something you've gone bent over backwards to make something consistent so that this timeline it's, it's makes you know there's some sort of flow or sense it's, it's to this timeline it's, it's convoluted and it's it's stupid <laughs> yeah it's pretty stupid it if you know anything about our podcast and about me and drew here you'll know that we don't have much respect for continuity pornographers no, not at all i may even have more respect for real pornographers <laughs> <laughs> they might they might deal in smut and they might be disgusting i might never want to shake their hands but they never ruined a comic for me <laughs> Wait, so let's 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 leave let's refocus for a little bit, just in case um, our listeners aren't really quite sure what we we're talking about. I do want to get into a li- this a little bit, but what exactly do you mean when you're talking about a continuity pornographer? I'm talking about somebody that cares so much about continuity that everything in terms of superhero comics revolves around continuity. So mm. so they 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 want to know. How something that happened in issue seventeen fits and doesn't contradict anything that happened, in, yeah. You know, a later issue or a previous yeah. issue. You know, so it's like when you have, but then it's like saying Spider Man. They said that Spider Man's weakness was penicillin in issue number one twenty one, but in this, in issue three hundred and ninety, he clearly has an infection and he took penicillin. How do you explain that? It's <laughs> yeah. that sort of thing, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it, it's like people think that when they read these superhero comics, you know, these some of these runs go for like hundreds and hundreds of issues, decades. But, yeah, decades. <laughs> so people think that they're reading the biography of a real person, you know. So they, 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 they want, like, all the history to be, uh, you know, official. They yeah. Want all, they want it all to be canon. Yeah. But for me, I don't really care about that because I know who Batman is. You know, I know who yeah. Spider-Man is. I know I know the essential core characteristics of their character. Yeah. I know the <clears throat> essential uh, pieces of their, of their history and backstory. Yeah. And that's all I really need, you know? Just tell me a good story that fits with, with that. Um, and and yeah. it doesn't matter if... If you uh, if you if you're able to pull out a random uh, forgotten C-list supervillain from 1973 and put it in a story from today, and, and you expect me to be impressed, 
Well, unless you do something special with that story. Make me care movie, about him. <laughs> I'm not going to be impressed. Yeah. You know, it's it's more about the actual story and, and the quality of the story and, and how they're telling that tale. Yeah. And I was going to say that... Um, oh, man. Well, okay, so... I, I don't know if they're the other kind of fan that appreciates these kind of stories. They're not necessarily continuity pornographers, but their whole their whole thing, your, I guess, stereotypical fan, like the yeah. worst kind of fan possible, is they're big on consistency, too, is the thing that uh, irks me. So if you introduce something that gives them a little too much change, like this isn't Green Lantern or whatever. They'll they'll throw a big fit about it, you know. Thor's not a woman. Thor's not a woman. <laughs> it's just like, just is it a good story? <laughs> That's exactly. all I need, man. Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. I'm, like I'm not gonna go and like throw up a protest and say this isn't my Green Lantern. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <sighs> what's <is> wrong? <laughs> That's why we yeah. get things like Green Lantern Rebirth. Exactly. If you're if you're a fan of our podcast, then I I I, I hope that you understand that our unofficial uh, tagline slash attitude here is story first, man. Totally, story first. Totally. Okay, so so number four, that Superman Batman story arc, Supergirl. Um, you mentioned earlier, talked a little bit about some of the dumber aspects of it. Yeah. I think one of the things that always stood out for me with that story was. I remember because because my friends back in college when it was coming out they were buying the issues serial serially. Mm. Um, I think Shanice was the one who was buying it actually. Yeah. Um, either him or or my roommate, but I would read their issues um, every month. The thing that that always stood out was number one, it's Michael Turner, his artwork. Uh, he was a really popular artist during that time frame, although um, I do think that. He's not someone whose art I ever really liked. He's not. He he's, he kind of draws. He kind of drew in that Jim Lee sort of style. Uh, you know, very muscular bodies, women with big boobs and small waists, and uh, here if just you poses could, and stuff. You know, here's what I would compare his art to. If you could imagine like a '90s swimsuit issue, like it it always felt like everything he drew came out of. Uh, like a Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. Yeah, and and that was one of the <clears> things that, even back then, reading the comic, it 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 felt kind of gross because when they intro- when they introduced Supergirl back to the DC universe, uh, she's supposed to be like a sixteen year old girl, but he the way that he he drew her, it was uh that's not appropriate, man. Like that's not how. You should be looking at a sixteen-year-old girl. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying, man? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, dude, come on, man. Yeah, that's, that's true. Like, I think in general, I'm not saying that. Yeah. everything I read has to be like completely like 1950s wholesome or something. Yeah, it doesn't have to be sanitized. You, you gotta but... have like some standards, though. You yeah, know, it's like that's that's a bit too much, even for me. Like, not not that. I mean, I'm, it's it's not crossed or anything, you know. It's not like, it's not like crossed, but but uh, to me, it's just really silly, and and it's it's something that takes me out of the story. You yeah. Know? When when I'm when I'm getting distracted by the artwork, that that takes me out of the experience of enjoying a good comic, and this was not a good comic. Um, to begin not, with. To begin with, you know. <laughs> so, like the story was pretty silly. Like yeah, like you said, yeah, Batman trying to fight Darkseid in a fist fight. <laughs> That that's pretty lame. Yeah, that's pretty lame. Yeah, it was. I never read it, so I I have less to say about it. But from the things that I do remember hearing from people, and and this was something. This was a comic that actually did well enough where they gave it its own animated movie. Yeah, and even from the clips that I saw, it just looked dumb. It 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 felt like a comic that a fanboy would have wanted. Definitely, definitely, because Michael Turner was a fan favorite artist, and he yeah. drew in a you know very popular style. And yeah. You have Superman and Batman. Yeah. And then you have the fact that it's the guy who wrote Hush. Yeah. And then you have the fact that uh, it's another one of their Supergirl. Yeah. Yeah. And again, it was, 
he worked with Jim Lee on Hush, so it would have made sense if you were appealing to that particular fan base that, oh, now he's working with Michael Turner, mm-hmm. you know? So it it was the sort of thing that they probably would have eaten up. When you, when you said that particular fan base, you just made me think of, it just made me think of like how people who, who like this comic probably like, you know, Limp Bizkit or something too. You think so? Yeah. Whoa. I, I, I'm, I'm interested to hear how you could make that connection because I have never made like it. Yeah. I, I, that wasn't my first association. I think it's just the way that you said that phrase, oh. those particular fans, oh. and and uh, just the idea that I can see them for, being fans know, of Nickelback. Or Nickelback, <laughs> you know, take, take take any take any trash band. Yeah, exactly. Like Biscuit, Nickelback, it's all the same to me, right? It's, yeah, it's, it's all just, about the he said, she said. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying that. There, for some reason, there's there's these bands that have a lot of popular mass appeal, but critics and people who actually care about the medium don't care for them yeah. whatsoever, you know? And and I've never heard any critics or people talk about how great uh, the Supergirl arc was. I've never heard any critics talk about how great Nickelback is either, but somehow they have a massive fan base enough to justify making the Supergirl story uh, an animated film. I yeah. did watch that one. It was not good. That, it sucked <laughs> too. Um, I'd probably actually rather read the comic because the comic is shorter. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's just one of those things where, for some reason, the masses may like it, but people that know better, know better. Yeah. Um... I don't have a justification for it. Well, well, maybe I do. Um, Part of me does feel like there are people out there who just enjoy not overthinking it, I guess. Maybe they just don't care to think about the stuff they consume. I I think that's... That's, that's no, exactly, yeah. exactly, right? Like they just want to watch entertainment and yeah. they don't really care about thinking critically about. What it hits consuming. them. It hits them in whatever their emotional sweet spot is, and that's enough for them. Yeah, you know. But if you deconstruct that, if you like actually sit there and like poke holes in it, uh, we're the bad guy all of a sudden, <laughs> right? I mean, I I don't know. I I don't I don't think I've ever actually sat down with anyone who's ever liked liked those comics well we tend not to associate with people yeah. that would like those i don't think uh, on the few occasions that we've talked to people who expressed their enjoyment for that sort of thing we usually just change the subject well yeah we change the subject or in my case i'm usually pretty dismissive of them <laughs> yeah that's true i've seen you ignore people yeah just like give them a cold shoulder until they stop talking to you <laughs> in the comic book store. I'm just like, like yeah, that, cool story. Yeah, like cool. That. Yeah, exactly. I'm just thinking of that, those times we were in comic book stores and someone, like, you know, we're just digging through boxes and someone tries to, like, start up a casual conversation with you and you see, like, what comic he's holding and you're just kind of like, that's cool, that's cool. And you just, like, turn away from him and yeah. eventually he stops talking to you. Yeah. I mean, I know to the listeners that might sound like I'm a jerk, but... I didn't slap him in the face or anything. Yeah. I just didn't want to talk to him. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Okay, number five on his list was Countdown to Infinite Crisis, which was the $1.80 page special. Um, You know what? I'll tell you this. This comic is something that I grew to appreciate a little bit more as time Didn't Rucka work on that? He did. He did. It was was a co-written joint by Greg Rucka. Jeff Johns. Jeff Johns and Mark Wade. No, not Mark Wade. Uh, why did I say Mark Wade? Uh, I meant Judd Winnick. Really? I don't remember Judd Winnick on it, but that sort of makes sense. I think it was Judd Winnick. Well, I remember this one, though. I can't be bothered to look up the credits because yeah. I don't care that much about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I know that uh, Greg Rucka did co-write parts of it. And some of the stuff that, that he worked on that spun out of this comic, um, you know, it, it wasn't his best stuff. But it was stuff that I was still able to enjoy. Things like the OMAC project and then Checkmate. I think relative to everything, I think the thing about those comics that he did was at the time, it was roll. If you roll it all up into its 
contemporaries and just look at it as a mass, mm-hmm. it's easy to just not appreciate any of it. Yeah. But when you dissect it and really compare it to its contemporaries, yeah. it's like, you know what, this is relatively significantly <laughs> better, or fine, relatively better yeah. than those other comics that they were putting out at the time. Yeah, and plus it was a dollar and it was an 80-page yeah, giant. it was so a thick sucker. At least that was a good deal. I remember uh, a while ago I found that in a quarter bin, so I just bought it. So, oh, I didn't yeah. realize that. Yeah, it's it's part of my Jeff, uh, not it's part of my Greg Rucka collection now. I did read read it, and I remember at the time. So spoilers, but at the time um, that it came out, the big thing about it was Blue Beetle. It, it's basically a story about Blue Beetle trying to uncover this mystery that's going on mm-hmm. in the DC universe. Uh, there's something happening behind the scenes. And Blue Beetle is kind of down and out. He's, you know, his, I think his company had folded or something. Or he was... Uh, yeah. And he was essentially on his own trying to solve this mystery. And he goes to Superman and Wonder Woman, the big three. And they're all Batman. just kind of... And Batman. And they all just kind of give they're him the cold shoulder. Yeah, they're yeah. dismissive of him. And the the at the end of the story, the thing that kicks off the big event is Blue Beetle figures out who the big bad is. Yeah. And he gets murdered on yeah. the spot and yeah. there's no one there to save him there's no one there to help him he 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 essentially dies in obscurity yep. and it's you know if you're a blue beetle fan and you told me that you felt like that was disrespectful towards him and if you're a fan of batman superman and wonder woman and you told me that that's not how that they that not how they would act uh i, I could if you're a fan of the J.M. DeMatteis and Keith Giffen era of Justice League, and you told me that Maxwell Lord was the ultimate villain of this of uh, Countdown to Infinite Crisis. Yeah, that that's probably the hardest thing to swallow. Yeah, you know because Maxwell Lord, they made him a villain in this comic. Uh, he was the the secret big bad villain that Blue Beetle was investigating. And back in the eighties, the Justice League comic at the time, you know they they were on the same team, and you were privy to Maxwell Lord's thoughts and motivations and never once was he ever indicated to be some sort of, uh, you know, a true villain. He might have had selfish motives at points, um, but but ult- ultimately he was he was kind of like uh, harmless, you know. He wasn't out to, he to wasn't trying control to... the world or yeah, anything. Yeah. He wasn't he wasn't capping fools in the head and stuff like that. He yeah. was, it was more of a lighthearted story. So uh, when, this, when this comic came out, I remember a lot of people were like, what the heck, man? Like, how could you take an old character like that that was you know the antithesis of this grim and gritty stuff and and make him like this yeah make him a murderer yeah yeah and i remember when you read it at the time that was more or less your yeah. your attitude towards it yeah and i, I still i still feel with i still feel that I yeah mean, I, just because i bought it for a quarter <laughs> to keep it for my greg record collection doesn't mean that i don't see the flaws in it yeah, yeah it's yeah. definitely got a lot of things that i don't agree with in it but i think there are elements of it that i can still appreciate you know just Mm. because i'm i'm a jaded superhero comics reader so (laughs) i don't have to necessarily find uh perfection in everything that i pick up but that's good but i'm i'm I'm, i look for things where if, if there's something in the comic that gives me something to mull over or, or chew, chew and, and think about, you know, there's, there's some value in that. And it's, it's got, uh, it's co-written by someone whose work I do appreciate. So I think yeah. trying to like, look at it and see like, why did Rucka choose to write, you know, those specific scenes, the way that he wrote them, mm. was it purely just to set up some of his future stories? Cause he, he did follow up on some of the stuff, like the whole Maxwell Lord thing. He followed that up during his run on Wonder Woman. Yeah. 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 Um, you know that that was another kind of questionable thing where he had Wonder Woman uh, publicly execute Maxwell Lord. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it was it was funny because <laughs> basically what happened. I'm going on a tangent now, but but Maxwell Lord it's developed fun, man. some sort of uh, mental. Yeah, Maxwell Lord developed some mental powers, and he used his powers to control Superman. Superman, Superman went on a rampage. Wonder Woman couldn't stop him, but she discovered that Maxwell Lord was behind it, and she used her lasso of truth on him to ask him. How do I make Superman stop this? And his answer, you have to kill me. Compelled to tell the truth was, you have to kill me. Yeah, yeah. So she did. 
Yeah. Which, so, for those of you that don't follow comics too closely, this this is actually a pretty interesting conversation, if only because the next Wonder Woman movie is coming out, and Maxwell Lord is in it, so... Yeah. I, there's a part of me that's curious to see how that plays out. I mean, I don't. I'm. I, I think I'm like you in the sense that I'm jaded as well. So mm-hmm. I, I'm not gonna go into it going. I expect Maxwell Lord to be this or that or whatever. It's just I'll watch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Because because the original Maxwell Lord, as he was conceived back in the '80s, he was he was more of like an enterprising businessman type who tried to use the Justice League for his own personal gain in, in terms of like. You know his pres- his uh, his prestige and whatnot, um, but he-, he wasn't malevolent or anything. And then when Countdown to Infinite Crisis came out, he was revealed to be the mastermind of a secret uh, organization that was trying to like basically r- run the world or something. Yeah, and and that was the thing that I found far fetched. And maybe this new Wonder Woman movie will kind of find a middle ground between the two. Yeah, um, I don't really know <clears throat> too much about it. But he's definitely turned out to be a character that had lasting power. Yeah. I never read those uh, old Justice League International um, comics that JMDM did. Although I should because that's that might be considered a hidden gem, yeah. I think. Uh, but that was considered a, a run of the Justice League that uh, a lot of people had love for but has since been sort of forgotten. So I, I never... I, when I read that comic, I never really had any preconceived notions of what... Uh, Maxwell Lord was or wasn't supposed to be. So it it was a different experience for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Moving on to number six on Dan DiDio's list, Infinite Crisis, a comic that we both enjoy <laughs> making fun of all the time. Um, you know what's interesting about that comic, now that I think about it? I'm not going to go as far as to say that I've discovered an enjoyment on it that's akin to my enjoyment for episode two and episode three of Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> but there is something to that comic when you read it and you read everything in Hayden Christensen's voice. <laughs> it's just so dramatic and so over the top. There, There's, there's some stuff that I can laugh at about that. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. It, it's it's pretty laughable. Yeah, it's a laughable comic. It's it's one of their one of their big event comics of the mid two thousands, and I really can't think of anything positive to say about it besides that. Uh, I will say that one of the worst things that it did was it, and again, it plays to it plays to the emotions of. Longtime fans who crave uh, consistency and continuity, but uh, th- one of the biggest things to come out of that comic was it reset the entire DC universe, from what I remember, mm-hmm. uh, so that all of the multiverses and all of the uh, was it this one, Infinite Crisis, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's sort of okay. Maybe okay. I feel like that opened the doorway to something like Flashpoint. Yeah, that's right? true, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, like, it, it. the whole point of it was it was meant to touch upon uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths. It was meant to yeah. evoke the same emotions as Crisis they, on Infinite they were, Earths. They were trying to clean up a lot of the continuity issues exactly, that, had, exactly. that had occurred over the past 30 years, but they ended up creating... It just made it more convoluted. <laughs> yeah. Um, they could have just ignored yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, and then a few years later, they did Flashpoint, uh, which was meant to clean it up even more, but... They just made it even more convoluted yep. after that. <laughs> and then a few years after that, they had to do Rebirth yeah, to and walk back on what they did. And pretty so soon far, they're going to do this thing called 5G. Is that what they're doing? Yeah, 5G. Are you serious? Yeah, you haven't heard about I it. I have not heard about this one. It's the upcoming DC publishing initiative that will, uh, you know, uh, reshape and reform and supposedly streamline their continuity. See, that's what we're talking about when we talk about hating continuity pornography. Yeah. This is exactly the sort of thing that is not an interesting story. I don't get, like, I, my, my, what I got from Rebirth was this is supposed to clean it all up. Mm-hmm. But now that you're telling me they're doing it again, so I, that's, I, 
what was the point of rebirth then? Well, I guess what's the point of any of it? <laughs> well, I mean, as far as I could tell, rebirth sort of cleaned it up, right? Or at the very least, they just kind of went, okay, this is just what the universe is now. Let's not like talk about all that other stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's rebirth and doomsday clock and and things like that. I don't I don't really have too much interest in exploring the, yeah. those depths, but um, like five G. From what I know about it, and there, keep in mind that this was stuff that was uh, in the works before Dan DiDio uh, left DC Comics. So there's actually rumors of a chance that things might not happen that the the way that th- they were originally planned to. Now that he's gone, but but Five G was supposed to show that there are five different generations of DC heroes. So. I don't remember all the details. I remember reading an article that explained it, and it wasn't anything that I cared about. So yeah, like don't remember all the just details. explaining it that way. I don't have a lot of faith in that. So it, it's I, I want to say it had some like the one thing that I one detail that I do remember was how it said that Wonder Woman was uh, one of the first superheroes, and she actually like her presence was what inf- inspired the Jay Garrick Flash. You know stuff like that. Like, so yeah. like, you have, like, all these different time periods from, like, World War Two up to the present day or even the future. Yeah. And each generation has its own group of uh, heroes. And yeah. Then, so it's, it's supposed to present, like, a, how present so, DC... The, it's supposed to present the DC universe in regards to legacy heroes and how there's this constant legacy of and movement of heroes for each generation. Not yeah. only generation in terms of, like, the, the time periods in DC Comics, but... A, a legacy of heroes for each generation of readers as well. I don't think that's necessary. It's pretty pointless. Yeah. Yeah. Part of me feels like they saw that 5G was a thing now for cell phones and <laughs> yeah. internet signals, and they were like, how do we capitalize on that? <laughs> you know? And, um... And, like, this idea of wonder... Like, I, I'm not gonna wade too deep into, like, social commentary or whatever, but, like, I'm... I'm... I don't inherently have anything against the idea of Wonder Woman being the first superhero, but I, I already feel in the ether there's gonna be somebody who's gonna be like, so Wonder Woman was the first superhero for the DC <laughs> Universe, and ugh, social justice warriors at it again! And they're like, that's just... You guys need to shut up. <laughs> just shut up. <laughs> it's just a comic book. Just if she's the first superhero, then fine. She's the first superhero. I don't really, like. As long as the story's good, that's all I care about. <laughs> Number seven on Dan Dio's list was fifty-two. So fifty-two. Uh, for those of you who may not remember it, it was the first weekly. Uh, series. Most comic books come out uh, once a month, maybe a couple times a month now, but at the time when this came out, it came out once a week for an entire year. It's, it was, I feel like it was a book that was more gimmicky than it was about the substance of it. Although, from what I remember, the creative teams weren't bad. Yeah, I actually just reread the entire thing a little over a year ago, maybe about 14, 15 months ago. Yeah. Um, when it was first coming out, I would, I would Back when it was back when there were still you know borders and stuff yeah. like bookstores, so I, I would be reading the issues there um, as they came out. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I missed random issues here and there, but uh, I was at the library a year ago and picked it up, picked up both volumes so I could read the entire thing. And I think reading it this time around as as one unit with you know the passage of time, um, I. I did enjoy it a little bit more. I don't think it's a great comic. Uh, if I f- if I found it for like a dollar, I'd, I'd buy it. But if I found all fifty two issues for, for twenty five cents a pop, I probably wouldn't. Buy all those. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think. I think Kurt Busiek. No, that's Trinity. Yeah, you're thinking of Trinity. So this one uh, was was by Rucka, Jeff Johns, Grant Morrison, Greg Rucka, Mark Wade, and Keith Giffen. So th- the five of them all teamed up with a basically an army of artists because you need an army of artists if you're going to do a, mm. a comic that comes out once a week. I will say that talent-wise, it's a pretty decent talent, uh, stable of talent, if you're saying that it's those five writers. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know if Jeff Johns is. <laughs> he, I have a complicated relationship with Jeff Johns. He's definitely not as good as the other four. He's definitely not as good as he was twenty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but th- this was around the time when he started to have uh, you know more control in DC's <clears throat> overall <clears throat> direction, and and uh, he was basically their Bendis. Yeah. But uh, the For other sure. guys that were working on it, you know, everybody all had their own pet characters and their pet story subplots in the, in the series. Yeah. Um, and some of them were more interesting than others. Um, I think Detective Montoya slash The Question was one of those stories, right? Yeah, and Greg Rucka obviously wrote those uh, those portions of the story, and he followed up with with, with her story in, in other comics um, later on. Mm. You had uh, Grant Morrison doing some stuff with Animal Man. Uh, I'm not really sure who wrote the parts about Black Adam and Kandak, but... I could picture that being a Geoff Johns thing. He, that was kind of his character been, in yeah, JSA. that's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, there was also a, a Booster Gold story that was pretty big. Uh, I could picture that being Keith Giffen. yeah like like if we're really gonna just do it based on pet characters then yeah yeah but anyway not it's not really worth diving into that series at this point but uh i'll I'll say that it was entertaining enough to read and there were even some points of the story that um you know i I genuinely thought they were fun yeah It's, it's not like the greatest superhero comic you'll ever read but it's not the worst you'll ever read either and i'll even go so far as to say that if you're curious about if anyone out there listening is curious enough about reading it then it's you should read it you know like yeah. it, like just know that it's not going to be something necessarily that is worth owning but if you're curious about it just check it out because it, it, it's it's definitely got a lot of interesting stuff um even though the art's really inconsistent and there are other elements in the story that may not be you know it's inconsistent because it's got so many different writers working on it yeah but for the most part um it's entertaining enough okay good enough for me let's see then we have superman earth one by j michael straczynski and shane davis it was an original graphic novel that was uh yeah came out during the time when dc was trying to do more original graphic novels uh that didn't have funnily enough these were comics that were intended to be out of continuity. Yeah. Uh, because despite the fact that in their main line, they were trying to do everything they could to put continuity together. Yeah. They thought, maybe we should do some stuff for people that don't want to read everything. Yeah. Um, so they've done a bunch of these Earth One books since. I don't know if they're still doing them, but yeah. they have Green Lantern Earth One, there's a Teen Titans Earth One, there's a One Woman Earth One, there's Batman, Batman Earth One, Superman. Um, there are some gems in there. Wonder yeah. Woman and Green Lantern and Teen Titans are probably the better Earth One books. Yeah, totally. Um, these Superman ones are the Nadir. Yeah, and the Batman one was Those aren't really, much better. Yeah. Yeah. Not a whole lot to say about this yeah, other than that it's, uh, you know, really poor writing, really poor art. Yeah. Uh, don't know who it's supposed to appeal to because if it's supposed to appeal to a, a new reader, they're better off trying other Superman comics. Yeah. There are other Superman comics where you don't need to have any knowledge of continuity and they read better, yeah. more coherently yeah. than this and they're truer to the character as well. Yeah. Read Superman Secret Identity or Superman Birthright. <laughs> yeah, or All-Star Superman. Or All-Star Superman. <laughs> or uh, one of those Alan Moore Superman stories, that, like Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow. Yeah. Or For the Man Who Has Everything. Like, any of those would be a much better introduction to Superman than this. Cool. Next up was uh, Batman, Green Lantern, and the Five-Year Plan. Um, his description of it, I'll just read it to you. Or better known as how the Sinestro Core War and Batman R.I.P. got me through the toughest part of my career. Um, then he kind of just goes on to give some other details and mainly like Jeff Johns's uh, Green Lantern run and Batman or Grant Morrison's Batman run. Um. Yeah. Like I'll I'll say the Grant Morrison Batman stuff was. That's great. It's great. Yeah. yeah. It's on the stronger end. Uh, That's definitely an all-time Batman run. But I feel like Jeff Johns. 
and we talked about this earlier, but uh, after Rebirth and what they did with Green Lantern, I feel like that had more of an impact on the universe. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, on the universe uh, than Batman stuff did, but. You know, maybe you can convince me otherwise. No, I'm not going to convince you. Yeah. Yeah. In so, fact, I would even go so far as to say that, uh, though Jeff, though Dan DiDio is proud of uh, that Batman run, his influence actually did negatively affect it creatively. I believe that. Because if you remember uh, the New 52, <clears throat> when the New 52 occurred... It they were in the middle of yeah, a story. <laughs> yeah, it happened in the middle of, of Morrison's yeah. Batman story. Like, he was nearing the end of his run, too. Yeah. So... Instead of just allowing him to ignore everything that the New 52 did, they forced him to acknowledge it in his story. And it just, that really makes things convoluted if you yeah. think about the continuity aspects and of it. Like, just the logical flow of things. Yeah. It, it, that that be, makes things yeah. not make sense. It'd be like if you were watching a TV show and halfway through an episode, they relaunched it and all of a sudden they you you needed like a guidebook to tell you <laughs> this is what's still the same from that previous episode but this is what's different now yeah it's like how is that an experience <laughs> yeah. yeah that's that's pretty dumb so the final thing on his list was the new 52 itself mm. which was one of the most significant events in comics the past decade mm. because it, it did boost up their sales it brought in uh, new readership it set a status quo for what comics or what comic sales were going to be like moving forward. I feel like yeah, Marvel. I don't know if they actively altered how they were putting out comics to compete with that, but it's hard to imagine that it didn't affect that they weren't looking at what DC was doing with the New Fifty Two, and they didn't make decisions in response to that. You know. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um. The, the New Fifty Two had a big impact on the industry though if you look at the statistics from 2011 and even like 2012 and 13 like you could see that the 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 effect that the new 52 had in terms of bringing in more dollars and more readers it it, it not only affected dc and boosted their numbers but it also helped smaller publishers like image mm. mm-hmm. i believe that yeah but as far as a creative endeavor goes, the New 52 was not something that I liked at all. Yeah. Other than uh, Wonder Woman by Brian Azzarello and Cliff Chang. Yeah. That was definitely the peak of, of what they put out. There are some other things here and there that that uh, I was into just because of the creative. writers involved. Yeah. Or <clears throat> yeah, creative teams involved. Like J.M.D. Mateus wrote some stuff. Peter Milligan wrote some stuff. Of course, I enjoyed those for what they were. But uh, as far as... Was the New 52 necessary? Maybe it was necessary f- in terms of bringing in new readers, mm. but it wasn't a story. It wasn't a. It wasn't a movement that I cared about. Like there were far more misses than hits. And I would even debate the idea that it brought in new readers because it it might have brought people in, but the question is Did how consistent. Yeah, yeah, how consistent was it in keeping them? And I find that harder to believe. Um, yeah, like for for all of their work to try to make the stories consistent and to streamline the universe, they have not, and this is just a personal side note that I wanted to add, but they don't apply that same logic of consistency to how comics come out. Yeah. Like that, I get it that that's kind of the more boring aspect of comics is, you know, sales and you know release dates and stuff like that but for people but if you're trying to get people in it just makes it more confusing (laughs) for them to go into a comic shop and see that there are a bunch of number ones or there there's all this continuity stuff that they need to wade through in order to make sense of what they're reading and it's just yeah like again i would debate whether it actually achieved the goal of... I, I guess it, if your goal is to bring... Is the one-off goal of just bringing new readers in, and that's what where you count your success, that's one thing. But if you rephrase it and you actually make the ask yourself if the goal is to bring in new people and keep them, I don't know that it did that. In fact, <laughs> I can honestly say it probably didn't do that. <laughs> 
Well, that's uh, Dan Dio's top ten that he came up with uh, about eight years ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and um, just for those of you that uh, might not be aware, uh, I think a big part of why we're talking about this is it was just announced recently that he was let go, or I don't know if he quit or what. Uh, I think it's fair to say he was let go. <laughs> from, Probably. I'm guessing yeah. he was fired. Yeah. Um, but he, he was the co-publisher of DC Comics for the past... What, at least 10 years or so yeah and, and before that he was uh i don't know vice like vice, vice i was gonna say principal, vice principal. <laughs> <laughs> he was vice principal he was vice principal <laughs> of dc comics <laughs> yeah he was one of the upper he, yeah creative or not cre- uh editorial people and publishing people on on that side of their uh executive board um yeah he left a huge impact on dc comics and comics as a whole yeah yeah, and, and, and not so necessarily far, in the good way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So far, he hasn't, as far as I know, he hasn't uh, made any public statements regarding his departure from DC Comics. But um, as of this recording, I think it was it's only been about a week or two since he left DC. So it was pretty big news. Um, I guess time will tell how much will change as a result of this, because there's a chance that things could stay the same. Maybe they'll get better. Maybe they'll get worse. Um, all I know is uh, Jim Lee, who was formerly uh, the co-publisher with Dan DiDio, he is now just the publisher. He's the man over there. So, yeah, we'll have to see what kind of publishing initiatives he uh, brings to DC now that he's the one who's solely responsible for those types of decisions. Mm. He's come a long way. Yeah, huh? yeah. I mean, I, I guess if he enjoys that role, then something that he he uh, won't mind doing, you know. I'm, I mean, I'm sure there are other people out there who started out as artists or creative types and are content to remain in that role. But now that he's doing uh, the publishing side of, of things, he probably doesn't have as much time to draw comics. Yeah. Not that I ever really uh, miss his artwork or anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there are lots of people... Clearly, there are a lot of people who who do love his art. Yeah. It's um, interesting, though. I feel like every now and again, um, he'll put out, like, a random cover or something. And I think he still has that belief that his name draws the kind of people yeah. that it used to. I mean, I don't know that it doesn't, but... Uh, I don't know. Maybe there's a part of me that doesn't believe that yeah you know i'd I'd have to really check the sales numbers i don't know if a variant cover by jim lee's helps a book really sell that much more it's possible i don't know but the the thing i was gonna say was when you do see the new things that he does put out the covers or whatever they're not even as good as yeah they're not they really aren't yeah (laughs) yeah like you could tell that he's just doing it just to do it just to slap his name on something and you know the, the cynical part of me wants to say he's just doing it because, one, he believes that his name alone will draw the, enough people to boost sales for that comic. Yeah. So, and two, it might be an ego thing just to remind himself that he's still the man, he's still relevant. He's an artist. He's an artist, he's still got it. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure, Jim. <laughs> sure. <laughs> No disrespect intended. No disrespect whatsoever. <laughs> the man is a bona fide scrub. <laughs> <laughs> he has small hands. He can't catch the ball. He has small feet. He can't really move. Even though he's athletic, he can't really jump. <laughs> no disrespect. <laughs> he doesn't have a post move that he can commit to memory, that he can do more than twice in a row. 